are you? I'm Cassidy Quinn, and this is Mentally Together. Because whether we can see it on the surface or not, we are all just trying to keep ourselves mentally together. And whatever our brains are experiencing, we're not alone. We're together. Are you ever feeling something? Like maybe you're feeling super anxious about something or really sad about something, but you don't ever actually say it out loud to anyone else? Not because you're scared they'll judge you or you think you're wrong for feeling that way, but just because you don't really have the right words for it. And then at some point you hear someone else say something or you read something in an article or see it on social media and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, that is exactly how I have been feeling. I am not alone. This is normal. And you just described it perfectly. That is how I felt when I read an article a few months ago. And I can so clearly remember this exact moment. I was sitting in a hotel in Beijing, China, when I was there covering the Olympics. I was sitting, eating my breakfast one morning, and I was scrolling on my phone, reading the New York Times. And this article popped up with the headline, Climate Change Enters the Therapy Room. With the subheading, 10 years ago, psychologists proposed that a wide range of people would suffer from anxiety and grief over climate. Skepticism about that idea is gone. Mind blown emoji. <laughs> that, that was me eating my breakfast. I mean, I don't know about you, you've probably done the same thing. Read a million articles about climate change, watch a bunch of documentaries about climate change, but I personally have never really connected anxiety and grief specifically to it. So this article talks about something called eco-anxiety and how, as you might imagine, it is both rational and existential. And as I read these words, I thought, oh, wow, yep, this is what I have been feeling for who knows how long, but just didn't have the words for it. I mean, it makes way too much sense that so many of us are struggling with fear and overwhelm about the state of the world, and it is wearing on our brains and our bodies. The article, which, by the way, I will put a link to in the show notes if you want to go read it, it talks about multiple people, including a therapist who specializes in helping people with exactly this. He practices something called eco-psychology. And I looked him up. Turns out he lives in Portland, which is where I live. So immediately I was like, I have to talk to this guy. It's Dr. Thomas Doherty. Dr. Doherty is a psychologist who specializes in applying an environmental perspective to mental health and well-being. He works with individuals and couples and also does a lot of workshops to teach therapists and other groups and organizations how to apply the approach in their own work. In 2011, a.k.a. over 10 years ago, he co-wrote a paper with Susan Clayton called The Psychological Impacts of Global Climate Change. And that paper has been cited over 700 times. And now Dr. Doherty has his own podcast called Climate Change and Happiness, where he talks about all of this with his co-host, Dr. Panu Pikula, who's an environmental researcher and writer. The podcast is fascinating. And so far, they have covered topics like how climate change is affecting people's decisions about whether or not to have children, how to hold space for people and their climate feelings, and all the cynicism, shame, guilt, sadness, inadequacy, and all the other feelings we all might be having about our role in the changing environment. Clearly, Dr. Doherty has a lot to say about all this, which is really great news because clearly we all have a lot to feel about all this. So I loved talking to him about his advice for those of us struggling with eco-anxiety, the mental health benefits of getting outside in nature, and how we can figure out our own environmental identity. So let's get into it with Dr. Thomas Doherty. Thank you for being here. Especially taking the time to do this because I can imagine in your line of work, there's not really a time where like, oh, nobody needs help. We're good now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Cassidy. I, as as we were talking and getting started earlier here, I mean, I'm working in the podcast world here too, so I'm yeah. need to. It's it's good for me to help out other other podcasters, and um, yeah, and I am in my work day. I will see you know some clients today on Zoom after we're done, and so yes, this is part of my part of my day. And since COVID, um, 
since the pandemic, a lot of my work has switched to online. So I'm working out of my, my yeah. home office, which is where, where a lot of, a lot of things are happening. Yeah. yeah. Does it, it seems like in some ways it's a particularly difficult time in the world from a therapist perspective. Does it feel like that based on talking to your clients or is it kind of just a normal phase of the, the universe, I guess? Well, I, I, I I, I, tr- I, I have two answers to that. I mean, I try to, one of the things I try to do with people is put things in perspective. And, you know, a lot of times we have to remind ourselves how lucky we really are and how, how good we have it. A lot of our problems, our first world problems, depending on what our life is, you know, mm-hmm. not, not that it doesn't cause suffering and pain, but, you know, it's, it's, we have the ability to kind of reframe and, and do gratitude. And, you know, that's, that turns on a part of your brain. That's, helpful for mental health and gets dormant when you're depressed. And so gratitude and reframing is great, but it has really been a tough last couple of years, really in with, with so many things going on, obviously with the climate change work I'm, I'm doing it is, it is really, you know, heated up hard in the pun. I mean, it's just, you know, it's really become much more of a personal issue for people. There's always been people over the years that have been strongly environmentally minded and connected to the earth. And they've had concerns about environmental issues and suffering about that. And so that's, that's not new, but the rolling out of climate change impacts to in people's daily lives, particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, you know, with the heat dome and the fires and the smoke and various storms, you know, it's, it's no longer an abstract distant thing. And that's the first recorded measurable April snow in Portland ever. Yeah. 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 And this isn't really a surprise. We kind of knew intellectually that climate change would be happening. This is all what has been predicted, but still it's one thing to have it be intellectually known as another thing to live it. And then over the last couple of years with the pandemic, which is another huge, you know, once in a lifetime, hopefully stressor for people and um, economic issues, and the Black Lives Matter protests here in Portland. So the, the, the confluence of all those things has been super tough. So I like to not, not be spoiled and think that we have it worse than earlier generations and earlier times in, in history, but this is, this has truly been a tough time for a lot of people. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess in a way that's nice to hear from a therapist, like, okay, if we're really struggling, it's, it's not normal to struggle. Yeah. 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 No, if you feel like it's been a hard two years, it has definitely been a hard two years, you know, even just the intersection of heat and smoke and then the isolation and the distancing of COVID has made, you know, these, these problems have made it harder. They, they've made it harder for us to cope. That's one of the reasons why it's harder, you know, been more yeah. different, different, you know, during COVID people were, a lot of people were enjoying getting outside and walking and getting some fresh air. But then when the heat and the smoke hit, they couldn't do that. So it really took away, you know, people's coping skills and it, and it made it that much harder. It just turned up the, turned up the dial. Yeah. 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 And so one, I'm guessing people come to you for therapy for all kinds of different things. Is that true? Yeah. My practice has been evolving pretty quickly. I mean, I've always been a little bit unique. I mean, I, I do, I do have a traditional mental health practice as a psychologist where I see clients and couples and, and there are the kind of the bread and butter issues of, of counseling that, you know, people come in for, you know, the relationships and their jobs and stress and anxiety and depression, all the human problems that we all have. And then I've, I've had a a side line in environmental sustainability and uh, people's connection with nature. It goes back to work I did before I became a psychologist. I used to do outdoor therapy and kind of outward bound style therapeutic trips with young people. And I taught um, at Lewis and Clark graduate school, created a, a certificate program, teaching counselors how to do outdoor therapy and how to understand environmental issues. And this is, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. So it was a, a little bit ago, but I, so I've always had this, this niche, uh, but, but in the last few years, it's become, it's becoming more my primary focus in the sense that I'm getting a lot of specific, you know, queries from people, both in my area, but also around the country and around the world, people that are, that have heard of, heard about me and are looking for help coping with climate issues. And I'm training therapists and that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I, I do a training group for therapists, a 10 week training to help them get up to speed on some of these issues. And I've got people coming in from all over the U S and Canada and Europe and Australia. So that's really exciting and really rewarding. So, um, 
yes, I, you know, one of my sayings is we have, we have issues and issues. So it's, that's one of my, my sayings, we have capital I issues and lowercase I issues, right? The capital I issues are the, are the big things that we want to achieve in our life. That's the, our goals, you know, it could be social justice or some, you know, environmental issues or our career or writing a book or creating a business or whatever. We all have our, our big things that we're working on. Uh, and then we have the lowercase I issues, which is our stuff, you know, which is our baggage, which is our vulnerabilities. It's our, our history, our neuroses, our wounds, our traumas, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, the, the lowercase I is infinite. There's all kinds of human things there. And so that one of the goals is, is helping people to get those two straight. So the lowercase I issues don't get in the way of our capitalized issues if that if that makes sense. Yeah, it does yeah. make a lot of sense. And it makes so much sense that this obviously like you just explained this is not a new topic for you. Like you wrote a big paper about it a decade ago or mm-hmm. over a decade ago at this point. But mm-hmm. to some of us it's like, oh, this is new in mm-hmm. the way that it's weighing on our mental health so much. Like there's mm-hmm. I would imagine people come to you because some days they can't stop thinking about the environment and their guilt and the things that they're doing. And, oh my gosh, I bought this plastic water, but my boyfriend and I last night had a conversation. He wanted to keep reusing his plastic water bottle. And I'm like, but I think it's bad for you to drink out of that water bottle. Okay. But it it was bad that I bought this water bottle. So now I have to keep reusing it. Like there's all these, and that's just a little tiny thing. Then there's just the huge overwhelming, oh my God, what, what do I do? What have I done to the world? And how can I even think about what I want to eat for dinner when the world is on fire and the ice caps are melting? (laughs) No, it's, it's all well said. And those, those, those mundane uh, examples are all sometimes the most important because they're just, uh, you know, the fabric of our life. Yeah. So one of the, you know, one of the goals is is helping people to find a middle ground where they navigate this, this stuff, Um, you know, practically like myself, I had the same dilemmas. I try not to use disposable products, you know, and cups or, or, um, bottles, but, you know, I, I, I try to reuse them a little bit and then I mm-hmm. recycle them. So I try to find a middle ground. I try to not use things once, but you're right. You know, we have to balance some of the issues. It's interesting. Eco-anxiety is this, this, this topic that's pretty big right now. And people usually associate it with climate change, but originally that topic came out. It started being talked about that particular term in the media and around 2007, give or take. But it was really about people's concerns about plastic and toxins in the environment. That's where that term mm-hmm. associated. And then lately it's been associated more, more, you know, linked with climate change. But so people have had these, these kind of questions and um, it, there is a kind of a paralysis that can happen when we're just getting into it. That years ago, I worked for Greenpeace when I was younger um, and I didn't really have any background in environmental issues. I was like a lot of young people. I was, you know, curious about it. I had just some general beliefs, but I didn't really know anything about. And that was a huge uh, wake up experience. Um, And then, you know, you get paralyzed about anything. Like, should I get a receipt, paper receipt? Should I use plastic bags or paper bags or cups? And then eventually, you know, you, you find a, a, you find a, a, you know, you find your own process there and, and start to get, we can talk more about that, but I think ultimately it's about the bigger picture and the bigger goals that you have uh, and not getting people get caught up in the minutia because they're not really clear on their big goals yet. And once, once you do things, it makes it a little easier to prioritize. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Prioritizing is a huge thing, obviously. Cause I know for me, sometimes the eco anxiety, which until I read about the work you do, I never had that word for it, but you know, okay, something happens, Portland's on fire, we're breathing smoke outside, or Australia's on fire, or Portland hits 118 degrees, or something across the world is crazy, horrible happening. And for a few days, that's all my brain can focus on. And then a few days later, something new happens in the news. And it's like, okay, that's the priority now. Or something happens in my personal life. Okay, that's the priority now. And then then there's the guilt of, oh, I stopped thinking about that. So now- Mm-hmm. Now, what am I supposed to? So how do, obviously it's a giant question. How do we prioritize or how do you help your clients uh, prioritize these things? Yeah. Well, what, let me, I'll answer that, but what do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you cope with something? <laughs> like that? I'm just curious. Uh, hmm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I, well, 
I think what you said a minute ago of trying to focus on the day-to-day things, trying to bring myself back to like, okay, what do I actually need to accomplish today? What are my goals for this time mm-hmm. period in my life? But then sometimes that means climate change falls to the wayside, you know, and that mm-hmm. I just stop thinking about that. And so that maybe is good for my eco anxiety, but in the long term, it's not actually changing anything or solving anything. Yeah. I mean, I just ask because it's nice to get people's stories because that's that's what makes it more real, you know. And yeah. So, you know, you know, it's so tough because we get so many messages from society and from environmental groups that we have to be working hard and changing. And so there is a kind of a a belief that we can't stop, we shouldn't stop thinking about it. Like we have to bear keep bearing witness to it if we don't, we're in denial. And mm-hmm. then so part of it is, you know, with so many almost almost all mental health issues and therapy are, you, you know, you'll find black and white thinking and I'm guilt, just as guilty as this as anyone else. And when we're getting stuck, we're usually getting black and white about something where it's like either all or none. And that's, that, that's kind of part of our, our brain and, and, and how it works. And particularly when we're anxious and stressed that we get, we more tend to be black and white, you know, cause that's the fight or flight response, the stress response, you know, and if you're in a burning building, it is black and white, it's burning. I want to get out, you know, that's yeah. pretty clear, but a lot of these yeah these modern issues are not so black and white. And there's a, there's a, there's a range a spectrum. So a big process of my work with people is just getting them to be more on the a spectrum of things um, to where, you know, I, I can be a good citizen and, and be doing my part for the environment, but doesn't mean I need to be ruminating on climate change all day. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I might, I might like to watch a, a, a TV show or something that I enjoy and I can get really into it, but it doesn't mean I need to think of it all day. And if I don't mm-hmm. think of it all day, it doesn't mean I don't like the show anymore or something like that. So, but again, it's a combination of talking through it, but also lowering our body temperatures, you know, and like, you know, relaxing a little bit and, um, but a lot of temperature you know, related things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I use a lot of imagery, like, you know, we have like a stress thermometer to think, use another temperature, like an old fashioned mercury thermometer. And, you know, when the, when the mercury is low, when our, our stress is low, we have a lot of bandwidth, we have a lot of creativity, we're flexible, we can go with the flow of things. But as that, as that mercury creeps up, we get less bandwidth, we get less, less, less space. Um, and there's a certain sweet spot where, you know, we get focused and we still have some creativity, but we're really focused on something. That's, you know, where people perform really well, but you know, as as it creeps up more and more, we get kind of cramped in there and we lose our, we get more, that's where the black and white thinking starts to come in. And, you know, and that's, that's true for anything for public speaking or broadcasting or sports or in any kind of situation. And certainly true with the climate issue. So people, they're kind of walking around with a pretty limited bandwidth already with all the other stressors in the world. So part of the goal is to, is to back off a little bit and create some more, you know, flexibility. I mean, sometimes it's just fatigue. Like I say, you know, despair is fatigue in disguise. Sometimes we're just tired and we need to rest, you know, to get a little more creativity, but, you know, to better answer your question, one of the, one of the models that I use to help people, I call it, I call it the upside down pyramid or, you know, writing the pyramid. Cause when people are really super stressed, like we're in the Northwest here in the last couple of years with all the things going on, it's like it's like we have this upside down pyramid like over our heads and it's pointing right at us. And we're just a little stick figure and this huge <laughs> pyramid is, 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 is kind of looming over us. And we have a little triangle of resources, but you know, we're trying to balance essentially an infinite, the growing pyramid of stressors between yeah. all the things in the world that you can, you can worry about. And it just, it is just crushing. So the, the, just, you know, first of all, validating that feeling is helpful for people because mm-hmm. uh, we all get there. Um, but then, you know, let's flip the pyramid over and put it on its base and stand next to the base. And let's just focus on the foundation of the pyramid, right? What are your daily activities for health to make you a good person? So, you know, we're all human. We have some basic foundational bricks in our health, sleep, diet, exercise, social support, our families, our relationships, our, our daily work, our, our home, our pets, you know, spirituality, you know, people, there's a lot of standard bricks, so to speak. And then people have unique parts of their, their life that are, you know, some of my garden, or they might have a, they might be an artist or a certain exercise routine or whatever, you know, but mm-hmm. you know, on any given day, 
we, uh, we just got to do our foundation, just show up and do your foundation. Uh, and then I think that organically creates some energy that's going to rise up. And that's where the, you know, our goals and the capitalized stuff lives at, at, at that apex of the pyramid, but it is a point. So, you know, at a certain point we can prioritize what we want to put at the point. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that can be a really good metaphor at the beginning when I'm working with someone to just, just again. And I, and then, and I say like, we get upside down. Like if I watch too much news and I'm stressed and I'm busy, I will start to feel that upside down and I'll flip my pyramid. And, and, um, and so that, that gives us, that buys us some time and some energy. And then, you know, cause the, the ultimate decisions about what we're going to do regarding climate change and stuff, that's a longer process. So we need to, we need to buy ourselves some time. These, these are, these are problems and issues that are way bigger than us. They've been around longer than we have, and they will be around longer than we're alive. So it's really more, how do we want to orient our life and be the best person? So it's a lot of that, you know, you kind of, you're kind of um, creating some context and calming down, and then you're kind of leaning back in, you know, and, and, you know, so it's, it's a bit of a wave in environmental work they talk about a despair and empowerment curve so it's like you get excited about an issue and you want to learn about it and you want to take it mm-hmm. on and solve problems and once you get into it you realize oh this is actually really complicated and it's not that easy to solve uh. and um and you get into a you start to get into a trough you know of, of despair and i can't do this and then that's normal and then you stay with that stay with the feelings work through it and eventually you know, something will grab you again. Some, there's a current of life out there and, you know, something will grab you and start pulling you and you'll get excited again. But, you know, if you, you know, you've been in broadcasting and you've had your own curves probably in your creative work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when people are really young and they're just getting started, you know, particularly in environmental stuff, they haven't really learned about that that curve yet. And so it's, they think that first, they think the first trough is it like, that's it. I'm never <laughs> going to come out of it, but it's really just, it's just growing, you know, it's just, we're naive. We take on things because we don't know any better. We think it's going to be easy and fun to solve problems. And we realize, gosh, there's a reason why people haven't solved this in 2000 years. Yeah. You know? But does again, doesn't mean we don't turn around and eventually get back in the game. So. Well, and that's what's the fact that it, is never ending has been going on forever will continue to go on for probably forever but at least for the foreseeable future seems like that is one thing that makes it different than if i you know when i started going to my therapist for anxiety and depression it's like okay these are the things i'm anxious about we can deal with it and maybe eventually those things don't make me anxious anymore or those aren't issues maybe not maybe i just learned to cope with them and deal with them and prioritize it within my daily life forever and ever. But maybe eventually I don't need therapy because that anxiety mm-hmm. has started to go away or this yeah. medication can help it. But with climate change, that's not, you can't tell someone like, Oh, just do this. And it will be, it will be done and it will get, will get better. <laughs> no, no. Right? It's, it's kind of like someone working on civil rights or voting rights or, yeah, or, any kind of big social issue, poverty, war, landmines, you know, global peace, you know, it's something you engage with for your life. And it's something you, you will, you, you learn to be more resilient and you learn to, to learn how to recharge your batteries and stuff like that. It's still the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, another image I use is this idea of like a sailboat. If you imagine like an old fashioned sailboat, it has like a hole in the bottom. There's a keel There's this heavy part of the hole that's under the water that you can't see, but it's usually a long, narrow thing that's heavy and it keeps the, the sailboat, you know, upright in the water and it kind of mm-hmm. makes it crack through the water. Um, and then the, the sails and things we see on the top are really light and kind of diaphanous and they just can go around in different ways. And so our, our values and our, you know, our, our identity and values is like the keel. Like that's not going to change too much in our life. We have basic values but on any given day, our sails might be full of good wind and we might be sailing <laughs> along, you know, or we might be in a storm, you know, mm-hmm. or there might be no wind at all. And so, you know, so, so the, the emotions are going to be really fluctuating. They're like the sails, you know, but the, the hull and the keel, that's our values. And so that's another part of this kind of work is like, just stick with your values. That's, 
ultimately we have no choice but to do our values really yeah but you know if we can own those that gives us a lot of strength so yeah because i do think i think we are unfortunately in you know I'm, I'm not a climate scientist per se but by my reading of things I, I you know i think the reality is we're in a a few hundred year transition in our in our planet with all this climate change stuff you know and things happen quicker than you know it took a few thousand years for people to agree that the earth didn't revolve you know that the earth revolved around the sun and, and not the other way around you yeah know? and it's that not was a, flat <laughs> yeah exactly and it also it takes it takes time for these huge these huge kind of reorganizations of our of our knowledge on the planet and so climate change is kind of like that really and and it's going much quicker because of technology and because of how, you know how fast things are moving um so we've come a long way you know uh, since 1950 or so when the science was 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 pretty set you know it's not taking hundreds of years it's it's taking decades but it's still going to take more decades because there's just a lot of disagreement about the issue and there are a lot of people you know want to do business as usual so yeah. so i'm not i am i am not strongly optimistic but i'm also not a doomer either i do believe i do believe we're going to we're going to get through this um yeah the the kind of odd that's um, good to know i'm glad to hear yeah. that <laughs> like this recent there was this recent new york times story that came out and i was involved in it and i was t- talking to a, a a young mom and you know it was really important for her to hear this me say, well, you know, there are going to be some good days in the future. You know, your children will have some good days. It's not, you know, there's going to be some bad days in the future. There'll be storms and droughts and in certain places there'll be disasters. And if people are in the wrong place, you know, it's going to be bad. So it's not like there's not going to be problems, but it doesn't mean there won't be some good days. You know, even through dumb luck, we'll be in a nice place and watch the sunrise or the sunset and have a fine day. And that was just helpful for her. You know, and so I, I do believe that's that's a that's a fair statement, you know. Yeah. Are you a coffee drinker or more of a tea person? And what do you like to mix into your caffeinated beverage of choice? Personally, this past year, I've gotten really into oat milk. At one point in the pandemic, I was even making my own, but that didn't really last very long. It did require some effort. And honestly, some mornings, even just making coffee seems like a lot of effort. And that's where Rise Brewing Company comes in. They make nitro cold brew coffee and sell it in cans by itself or mixed as an oat milk latte, an oat milk mocha, and they do tea too, like an oat milk London fog. Or you can just buy their oat milk by itself. Have I said oat milk enough times in the last minute? The point is, Rise provides energy for good people to do good things. And I think their coffee is really good. And their oat milk, obviously. To get some Rise for yourself, click the link in the show notes. It lets Rise know we sent you and helps support our show. Now, back to the show. Well, you mentioned the word doom, which made me think about doom scrolling uh-huh. i would imagine yeah. is something that yeah. a lot of us do myself included you're like something happens in the world now i need to look at twitter and keep updating it because things are happening and i can't look away and i just need to keep reading until i find the magical answer but i just keep seeing more bad news and then it's two o'clock in the morning and i am anxious is that uh not that i know what that feels like um <laughs> is that something that is common for people that come and talk to you it is. Yeah, it is. And I, th- I think it's, it's, it's to the point where it's, it's, it's totally, it's very much correlated with, with people's eco anxiety levels mm-hmm. or, or put another way, I could take anybody and make them eco anxious if I subject them to enough <laughs> troubling news. Right. Yeah. So part of it is the, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the information. It's the, it's the process. It's the, it's the whole format. It's being the like it's like electronic media, which is, you know, our phones are, are, are beautiful and fine, you know, pieces of technology, but they're highly, highly addictive and they're designed to be addictive. And so we have to be careful about that. And there's no end. It's a machine. It never goes off. Um, and so it's so easy to get, to get sucked into this and it becomes kind of addicting, like an addiction, almost like any other kind of technology addiction to where people have to kind of do like a news break a news fast, a news diet, or at least get conscious mm. of 
of how often they're getting into their screen. So yeah, I do talk about that with people and I, I try to do that too, because I will find myself getting sucked in, but you know, when something big happens like the, the war in Ukraine or COVID, you know, you, you do naturally want to educate yourself. There's no, and there's nothing wrong with being educated, but it's a slippery slope. The, the addict, the addictive pieces start to come in. And so we do have to kind of remind ourselves that, you know, like I say, you know, our life is the news. Like your life is the news, your home, your relationships, where you live, your street, that's the news. And we, people think they're not going to be informed uh, if they don't stay on their phones. But I actually think it's the opposite. I think we're, we're more informed when we get off our phones. We're more informed about the, mm. the true news of our life. Right. And, you know, and so that's because that's the real life that's happening, you know, yeah. and so, so trying to think of ourselves as news and liberate ourselves from the consumeristic kind of thing. You know, I'm working on a book project now and I'm trying to think about how to, Ooh. how to, how to go over all these topics that we're talking about. And so I was thinking about that, you know, there's like, there's an adulting, you know, <laughs> climate adulting where I need to be an adult and I need to know what this is and I need to understand it. And that's a responsible thing. So there's one thing to be doom scrolling because I have, because I'm addicted and I can't pull myself off and it's, it's, it's actually making, making my life bad. And that's not the same as a climate adulting where I actually take it seriously and realize this is a thing. I need to understand a bit of it, find, find some mature way to deal with it. So, mm -hmm. but I do recommend a, a news, news break. I mean, again, you do a podcast, I do a podcast. So it's not like I'm a Luddite. I don't want people to use technology, but right, right. You know, turning your phone off for 20 minutes. You know, sometimes people, you know, many people never turn their phone off ever. Mm -hmm. And they forget, they forget that they're, they're essentially on 24 hours a day. And it does affect our nervous system. Even just having a phone in the room changes our heart rate, you know? So practicing, okay. you know, little, little brief, brief snippets, you know, 20 minutes, an hour, you know, that's why doing outdoor activities like hiking is nice. Sometimes you can get away from your technology, but then the news is always a step away. You're never going to be, if something's really important, you'll hear about it orally. I've taken news fast where I haven't looked at the news for like a day or a couple of days, you know, and if, if something's really important, I'll hear, I'm going to hear about it. Like yeah. humans yeah. have always communicated like that for thousands of years. So, <laughs> so, but again, it's, it's lib there's, there's a bit of liberation here. And then this is not even unique to climate change. It's just a, a general mental health mm -hmm. thing is to, is to liberate ourselves from electronic media, even doing more analog news, like reading a newspaper is, 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 is different for, is very different for our <laughs> nervous system yeah. than watching um, televised news or electronic news. Mm -hmm. Something about the, the, the pace of, of like reading the news and seeing all the stories, it doesn't assault our nervous system in the same way. And so there are, there are also, sense. there are also ways to educate ourselves that aren't phone based. Um, yeah. So no, I think you've hit on a, you've hit on an important thing. <laughs> Definitely feels important in my life lately. If my phone, I used to like never let my phone die. And then like a couple nights ago, it died at like nine o'clock and I was like, whatever. And then I woke up at eight o'clock. Luckily my boyfriend had an alarm on his phone and I was like, oh, my phone's been off for 11 hours. and. I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Life went on, you know, mm -hmm. you know, so there is a, there is a bit of that illusion there, yeah. that illusion there. So it's just, it's something to play around with. Yeah. A big piece that I like to get with, get in with, with people along the line of the values is, is this idea of environmental identity or your environmental identity. It's kind of an idea that's pretty simple, but most people haven't heard of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's kind of ready for prime time. Um, mm -hmm. Well, you this know, is prime time. So <laughs> yes, <go>. exactly. So <laughs> the listeners, you're, you're on, you're on top of it here, but you know, in the modern era, we're, we're much more attuned to think about our, all kinds of identities, like our cultural identity, our racial identity, sexual identity, gender identity, all these different kinds of identities. So it's kind of our self-concept in relation to these different areas of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And our environmental identity is our our self-concept and beliefs about ourselves in relation to nature and the natural world. Right. And like a lot of identities, we don't really know how to talk about it until someone gives us some language. I mean, we have some 
internal beliefs about this. We can't not have some mental models about all these things, but until we're giving language, that's kind of silent, you know, it's kind of unconscious. And so raising people's consciousness about this idea of environmental identity is big. And because that starts to become this core that then they can hold on to and understand. And then some of the surfacey things about like plastics and various things become more, that's a way of prioritizing, getting back to that whole prioritizing thing. So is that kind of like, okay, I am going to be a person that has this specific diet. Like I'm not going to eat meat or, or I am going to eat these types of meat or whatever. And I'm going to be a person who buys a metal water bottle and doesn't buy a plastic water bottle. Are those the kind of, kind of things that yeah, those are all we pieces. Pick our identities, our environmental identity, or yeah, how do we actually figure that out? Well, that's a very that's a very philosophical question. There, that's a good one. But all <laughs> those pieces, identity. Yeah, yeah, identity um, in the Western in our culture, we do we do get some freedom to pick our identity, or at least people can if they want to. Mm-hmm. But then you know, identity is built over time, and so a lot of our identity is absorbed from our culture, from our parents. And so a good way to think about your, all, any kind of identity, but environmental identity just as well is just do a timeline of your life, like from birth to the present. And what are the significant kind of events on that timeline that relate to your identity? Like for environmental identity, it would be like where you're from, where did you grow up? What was the landscape around you? What was your socioeconomic status? What did your parents do? What was the, what was the attitude toward nature and the natural world in your family? Um, what, what, what'd you learn in school? You know, what did you pick up from the culture, from media, from books, from TV shows, from movies? Uh, did you have pets? Were you around other animals? Did you go camping, you know, camping or hunting or fishing? Um, all that kind of stuff makes kind of, that kind of makes our environmental identity. And then at a certain point, people start being ch- actively choosing, choosing activities in life. And then we become more mm-hmm. directive about our identity. So people travel or they choose to study certain things or, or approach, you know, and seek out activities. Right. And so, so that, that, that timeline helps people to flesh out this idea of their environmental identity and who they are, you know, yeah. and some of, some of our identity is, is chosen. Like we can be the person we want to be, move from where we grew up, have a different lifestyle than our family or parents, if we want a lot of it's based on education and privilege too, you know, so there's different mm-hmm. people are more privileged in some ways to make choices. Um, yeah. So that's something to be aware of. And then of course we, you know, some people, our, our, our identity is given to us by our culture and some, for some people that's important and they want to have that heritage and history. And that's, that's fine too. So it, it sort of depends on where you're from on the planet and, and what your family's like. But I think everybody has, everybody has an environmental identity. And that's a, that's a clarification early on. Cause sometimes people hear this and they think, oh, that's an environmentalist identity. And like, I either, then it gets back to the black and white, either I have it or I yeah. don't. Like, yeah. I can't. That's a big blockage for people. Cause they think, oh, I want to be a part of sustainability or deal with climate change, but I, that's not me. Like I'm not an outdoor person or I didn't, I don't know about this. And so they kind of limit their, they limit their possibilities, but really it, 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 anyone you can, these are, these are available. This stuff is available to anybody. Some people's environmental identity is strongly nature-based where they they want to be out in nature camping mm-hmm. or hiking or fishing or rock climbing, or, or, you know, maybe it's more uh, domestic where they're interested in gardening and being around their home, you know, more, sometimes it's more urban, you know, sometimes people are more, you know, um, what they would say in the, in the, in the, lingo more utilitarian so it's more like nature is something that you you know humans use so it's in terms of like farming or livestock or Mm, industry mm -hmm. you know some people are more spiritual about this and it's really about their higher values about life and or their religion you know some people are really into justice issues like animal rights or you know social justice some people are really into the science you know and understanding things and understanding you know natural science or astronomy or whatever. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of different flavors, different, yes. different styles. And that's a, that's a really fun conversation to have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's related to the climate stuff because, you know, we hurt where we care as, as they say. So like, if I'm concerned about climate changes, cause I have values and things that are important to me that are being threatened. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the environmental identity stuff is like, Oh, wow, this is me. And this is unique. And it's, it's just a more positive conversation to have. 
and then it kind of makes sense why people you know make consumer decisions about like what products to buy or like the examples you were using earlier about like one way one example was about a metal bottle Mm-hmm. Um, and diet. diet. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. That those those kind of lifestyle decisions flow from our values, our worldview, which is our identity, right? And so, um, yeah. Anyway, so or it's having kind of, kids is something you touched on, oh, I think, before we started recording. But that's another whole thing that choice to make in life. And do I want that? Am I ruining the world by making children? And that's a huge one. Yeah, I was saying yeah, as we were chatting earlier, my podcast, Climate Change and Happiness. ClimateChangeAndHappiness.com, right? My my podcast where we talk about climate emotions. We're all climate, all emotions all the time. Me and my colleague from from Finland. And um, yeah, we have a couple, we have a two-part episode series coming up on, you know, child making decisions around having children, which is just a huge philosophical thing for people. And it's amazing how different people think about it. You know, people think about it in different ways. And I learned a lot even from the episodes myself. But I have one. I have one daughter who's fourteen, and I feel really good about that. But I remember when I was younger, didn't think I wanted to have children, and you know, and I kind of got to a different place in my life where I where I felt good about that. But everybody has their story. But you know, for some people, children are a link to the future. They're mm-hmm. they're 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 a source of meaning. So yeah, that's that's one of the really sad, tragic things about climate change is that it really muddles this this decision for people and makes it really hard for them much harder, you know, in the past people might've been concerned about nuclear war or, I mean, people have, people have always had some, some concerns or stresses about having child at different times, like during world war II or during nuclear war or people that are dealing with poverty or war or any kind of thing. But yeah, climate change is a particular one. Luckily more people are able to talk about it now and there's more support and more resources. Yeah. Uh, the Generation Dread, Gen Dread. Um, there's a newsletter. Gen uh, Britt Brit Ray does one of my colleagues called Gen Generation Dread. Gen Dread, and she it basically what a title. It started because of her own dilemmas about whether she should have a child or not. Because she was a science journalist and she knew all about this stuff, and she she wow. got into it and she created a created her own kind of blog and newsletter, and now she has a book coming out. So does she have a child? <laughs> She does. She just okay. She, I'm so curious. Like, wait, did she? Yeah. What she decide? She decided to have a child, and I think part of her process, as she said, was not. It was not whether it was not whether to have a child or not, but what it took to have a child and how mm-hmm. you would approach that. So, but anyway, her book's just about to come out, and it and it and it's a night it, and it fills a gap, you know, yeah. that wasn't that that was really wasn't there before. And in our podcast, we talked about it with another researcher who's been studying this but she studies more of the African-American community and they have slightly different views on, on children and family than white communities just culturally. But she was talking a lot about grand grandparents and mm. you know, that's another kind of um, stakeholder for whether people have a child or not is the yeah. grandparents. Right. And, uh, and some, there's a lot of um, interesting process where some, I mean, there's always been people that have been, conscious about the environment and climate change. It doesn't matter what age you are. There's a lot of like older folks that have a long time environmentalists. It's not like all, all older folks are not interested in climate, but, Mm -hmm. but stereotypically younger people tend to be more attuned to this issue than older folks, just, you know, according to broad statistics. And so there is a neat dialogue between the grandparent generation and the parent generation about like, yeah, what does it mean to have kids? And, um, that's like one of the edges of climate change dialogue because, you know, when grandparents realize, oh, I might not have grandchildren because of this, because my kids don't feel comfortable having children, it makes them more aware of the issue and even more active. So it's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, really fascinating. Thank you. One thing you've mentioned a few times, getting outside, you know, our relationship with the outdoors, getting out in the environment. And I know that's another related, but also separate part of your therapy practice where you do therapy actually outside, like people mm-hmm. walking outside. Mm-hmm. And I know we all hear all the time, got to go get vitamin D, got to get outside. Don't forget it. You'll feel bad if you forget to do it. From a therapist perspective with all the work you do, why do we need to do that? And what? how do we do it in in a way that's useful to our brains? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's, that again, that's, 
along with environmental identity, it's one of those kind of um, big coping categories that we need to talk about because, I mean, some of it is, is just enacting our values because if we are outdoors people, we need to do it. We need to, because we, we feel better when we are our best self, when we enact our values. So uh, whether whatever that happens to be and what happens with a lot of people is as they, as they get older, they take on more adult responsibilities, they get married or have children or have jobs. They, they do less outdoor stuff than they might've done when they were younger. So that's a, that's a phenomenon to be aware of. So they have less of those outlets, but you know, safe outdoor places are really good for our mind and our body. Like, you know, just even a, a brief time outside can help us clear our head and be more creative and look mm-hmm. at things differently and, and, you know, reframe things. And then there's a whole physiological piece about being outdoors, you know, being under like right now, the sun's out here and it looks, looks kind of pleasant for a moment. And so, yeah. like, I, you know, you, when you step outside just passively without doing anything, your heart rate's going to slow down. Your blood pressure is going to slow down. You're, you know, you're, you're going to calm and it's just good for your body. So it's good for the body and mind and it's a dose response thing. So it's like the more, the more I do it, typically the more benefits I get. So I can get some benefits from just a five minute stroll around the block during my work day. But if I spent, you know, 20 minutes or a half an hour, I might get a little more benefit in terms of exercise or reflection. If I spend an afternoon hiking in Forest Park or something like that, then I get more. If I spend a whole day or a weekend, you know, so I get more, and eventually it becomes like a vacation where I actually get away from my life and I'm able to think about things. So there's like a spectrum. And then you have people, you know, hiking the, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail for, for weeks or months. And it's like changes their life. Yeah. Um, so, so like, like I said earlier, there's a spectrum of nature. So it's like, there's nearby nature, like parks and gardens, there's internal, the domestic nature, like plants and pets, and even just virtual nature, like pictures on our wall and, and just pretty things in our home. And then you've got, you know, managed nature, like forests and going to the ocean. And then you got wild nature, like being out in the woods or up in the mountains and, you know, that's also part of our environmental identity. Some people gravitate to one, one, one aspect of that spectrum or not. Yeah. You know? So that, so again, it's not like you, you don't belong. You just got to find the place where you belong. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the other pieces it's about, you know, when choosing activities, it's about what are my skills and resources and, and what's the challenge I want. So it's like a little equation, um, you know, the more resources I have, I can take on more challenges. And so I might want to go backpacking or do some outdoor thing. And so some people are really into doing extreme things or, you know, really adventurous things because they have a lot of resources. So they want to push themselves for some people just walking in forest park is a big challenge, you know, it's, it's okay. And then it's the meaning piece So that the third factor is the meaning of it, because I might be a super extreme athlete and just might be strolling around forest park. So there's not a lot of challenge, but if I'm taking say I'm taking my young child and I'm playing in the Creek, it might be beautiful. It might be all the meaning I need, you know? So the yeah. meaning, the meaning is important. Um, and I might push myself way out of my comfort zone to try something very new. Um, <laughs> but if it means something to me, you know, then I'll do it, you know? Yeah. So, so that's, and that's another neat conversation to have is like, how do you find your own, your own recipe? You know? So mm-hmm. I do a lot of, um, Practically, I mean, in the old days when I was younger, I did you know outdoor therapy where I'd go on like three week, three week backpacking expeditions with young people would be out in the out in the wilderness, and that was really immersive and you know really yeah. adventurous. But these days, I I'll just do some of my sessions when you know walking sessions. So I'll meet I'll meet clients at a at a local park that's got some good trails that aren't too challenging and also some privacy, and we'll just walk for an hour instead of meeting in an office, and that that works pretty well for people. It's a self-chosen thing. Like I don't force people yeah. to do it, but I yeah. offer it. I offer it as an option and a lot of people really like it. Is that what you refer to as nature-based stress reduction? Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a term, you know, there's like all different kinds of stress reduction and mindfulness-based stress reduction, you know, where people meditate, but nature-based is when I, you know, I take that stress reduction stuff outside, Yeah. you know, and some of it just happens passively uh, just by being there. And then I can deepen it by doing some meditation or walking or clearing my head or visualizing things and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Reconnecting. Yeah. I know it's three o'clock. I want to make sure that I let you go, but uh, where can people find you? Where can they come see you? 
and join, I'm sure, a never-ending wait list of people that want to come see you? <laughs> well, I'm working on trying to do some groups. So I'm, I'm trying to find out ways to serve more people. So people can find me at selfsustain.com. That's my website. So www, the word self, the word sustain, selfsustain.com. That takes you to my practice website and you can find a lot about me there. And then I, my podcast is um, climatechangeandhappiness.com. And that's, that's a kind of a nice thing to listen to if you want to kind of hear some different different sides about climate change. By really smart people talking about it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm not worthy. These people, it's it's wonderful. I'm so happy that you're putting it out into the world. So well, I'm I'm happy you you're putting your stuff out into the world too and oh, doing the podcast. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Is there anything, any last words, anything I didn't ask you about that you want to say or things people should know that, you know, if they can't come see you for a full session, something they can do to take into their eco-anxious life? Well, I would just, you know, come away with us. I would try to come up, come away with that idea of, of your environmental identity. Just remember that concept and that you do have an identity about nature and the natural world and, and just start being attuned to your identity and then other people's like your partner's identity there's something, you know, you can actually talk through this with people and it can be kind of nice. And I think that's a gift. Once you clue into that, it's a lifelong process like any other kind of identity. And it's, it, again, it, it's, it's a little bit of a different direction than just, just the concern and the driving to change. You know, it's like, okay, I have an identity. I, you know, this is important to me because it's part of myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, that's a good thing to hear. And then kind of like build from just like with every other identity, you can, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're assured in your identity, then you can start figuring out what you want to do with it. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it takes a little while to be assured in our, our identity and we're a little, we're a little fragile. We're a little, maybe a little um, sensitive about it or protective of it. That's normal too. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you can find other people that share, share that, then it's a little safer and then you can develop it together. Well, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for answering so many questions. Clearly, we could I could ask you a million more. That's why you have a podcast. That's why you talk to people constantly. Um, yeah. But I think overall, thank you for just helping a lot of us feel like we're not totally crazy for having these feelings and that it's normal, but it's not our sole problem to figure out either. So... That's right. Yeah. That's not our soul. It's not our soul problem. And it's quite normal, quite normal and sane to be worried about these things uh, and getting with people that are coping in a healthy way and banding together with, with them is really good, a good thing to do. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, wonderful human, for listening to this episode of Mentally Together. I, Cassidy Quinn, will see you right back here next week. And in the meantime, go do something nice for your brain today. Go turn your phone off, take a walk outside in nature, and or ponder your environmental identity, maybe. Whatever will make your day just a little bit better. Because remember, we are all just trying to keep ourselves mentally together. Together is produced, hosted, and edited by Cassidy Quinn in collaboration with Koba FM, a podcast network that is all about community, baby.